Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The clouds are clearing this morning and visibility is improving to such an extent that we can clearly see a way through the Brexit logjam. And looking out the window from Talk Radio Towers, I can even see the European Union preparing for us leaving. Never mind all this nonsense you keep hearing on other places, on other stations, on other television channels, uh, that the Europeans are not happy, that they haven't accepted the plan by Boris Johnson. And by Friday, Emmanuel Macron uh, and his henchmen over in Brussels are all going to say no. We do not wish you to leave on these terms. This morning, we've got the usual naysayers moaning and groaning on about how much debt debt Brexit is going to cause, how awful it's going to be for the economy, and why a boom will be followed by a bust. Well, isn't that what always happens? No more boom and bust, I think, was what Gordon Brown said. But normally speaking, you have a boom, then you have a bit of a bust. Then you have another bit of a boom, another bit of a bust. It's called economics, isn't it? These pearls of wisdom are being hurled around by the Institute for Fiscal Studies, a think tank which isn't normally terribly upbeat anyway, and certainly not the sort of think tank you'd like to sit next to on a rather lengthy train journey. Over at Brexit HQ, Dominic Cummings is carrying on as normal, preparing for a no-deal Brexit and an election. The only question is, which one will come first? We'll be talking to eco-millionaire Dale Vince coming up a little bit later on. He's bankrolling the legal action in Edinburgh, which was dismissed yesterday, aimed at forcing the Prime Minister to write a letter. Of course, he says they won it, but in fact, they actually did lose. It's all rather tedious, isn't it? Why don't we just shut down Parliament today and get on with the plan? What's that, you say? Oh, they are shutting it down. Oh, good. Now, Mr Dale Vince uh, is the owner of Ecotricity, which is a green energy company, generally thought to be pretty well run, generally thought to be a pretty good organisation. He also runs uh, a Forest Green football club, uh, which is down in Stroud, and uh, apparently that is thought to be a pretty good place as well. It's a vegan football club, which I'm all in favour of. And, of course, he and I had a little set-to a few weeks ago when we were talking about him bankrolling my good friend uh, Jolian Morm, QC, uh, who has, of course, bl- blanked me on Twitter, blocked me on Twitter because he didn't like me having a go at him. Dale, a very good morning. Welcome back. Yeah, morning, Mike. Pleasure to be back. Ne- necessarily, uh, we must start with, I suppose, the court case up in Edinburgh. You're appealing, I think, today, are you not? What happened yesterday? Yeah, that's right. We're appealing that decision and at the same time we're asking the court to use this special power they have, the power of knob-off. <laughs> now, apparently, you claim that you won the <clears> case <throat> yesterday, but of course, if you had won it, you wouldn't be appealing it. You actually lost, didn't you? Yeah, but if you actually took the time to read what I said about that, you'd 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 understand what I was saying. Well, we, I mean, we, we won. Let me just say. Let me, let me just say. Yeah, go on. We won in the sense that before the court case, all we had was the government uh, through Boris Johnson saying basically he was going to ignore the Benak. But mm. through the court case, the government had basically promised to the court they're giving them categoric assurances that the government won't break that law. That to me is a victory. 
Well, it may be a victory to you, but it's actually a loss because you're a bit like one of those Ramonas that says, you know, we won the referendum because lots of people voted for parties that didn't want a no deal, when in fact the Remainers actually lost. But let's not worry about that. Well, I think I think that's incorrect, Mike, because, okay. because I made a decent point to you there. I, I've shown you why we won something from that court case. We got something that Look, we didn't have before the court case. Let me explain something to you, Dale. Just because yep. you make a decent point to me doesn't mean I have to accept it. <laughs> that's not the way it works. Yeah. But, but listen, yeah, okay, I'm quite happy to enough. grant you a point for that. But what about about uh, this business of the judge actually saying that what Boris Johnson said was not to be taken seriously uh, because it was merely a political statement. I found that the most fascinating part of the ruling, to be honest. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. He said basically there's a there's a constitutional principle. He said it's the bedrock of our of our country, in effect, that the, the courts should believe the government, and that's why he found against us and wouldn't uh, order the injunction. But at the same time, he said it doesn't matter what Boris Johnson says in the realm of politics. If it appears to completely contradict yeah. what he promises the court, that's OK because that's politics. And isn't that interesting vis-a-vis -vis the decision made in the Supreme Court just the other week? Because I was saying this to John Rental earlier on from The Independent. It rather, you know, it rather stands against that ruling that was made in the Supreme Court, who basically said, well, you know, this is not a political decision. This is, in fact, unconstitutional, therefore unlawful, therefore we will rule against what the Prime Minister did. But to me, it's not that different. Actually, uh, you touch on a good point there. I just put something out on Facebook uh, this morning. The, um, the Supreme Court took a different approach to the court in Scotland because they didn't take the government's word for mm. the reasoning for the prorogation of Parliament. They looked at the evidence and found the government had been dishonest and that Johnson himself had misled the Queen. And so I think there's a contradiction between what the Supreme Court have Except done. Except they didn't quite do that, did they? They didn't actually go quite as far as that. They just said they mm. didn't believe his reasonings. They didn't say he misled the Queen or <laughs> that he lied. Oh, no, they did. No, they absolutely said he misled the Queen and, uh, and they absolutely didn't believe his reasons. They found against him. They found his real reason for shutting down Parliament was different to the one he yeah, told them. even though they didn't know what that actually was. Well, I think they, they had a good idea. See, we all have a trouble, good idea, don't this we? This is the trouble when you start hiring lawyers, right? You start and you can sort of disappear up your own backside. Because How is my good mate Jolian Morm, anyway? Yeah, he's doing well. Is he's, he? he's in good spirits. I yeah. mean, when was, he hasn't won much lately. I just I don't want him to get depressed or anything. So give him my best regards. Because now that he doesn't see my tweets anymore, he's probably having a much less happy life than he used to. <laughs> well, if you, if you want to... If you want to send some uh, some <laughs> message of support to somebody that hasn't won much recently, send it to Boris Johnson. <laughs> uh, or Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, perhaps. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's not, talk, let's not talk about football. Yeah. But that's the weird thing about where Boris is, you know. I don't know if you've read the piece in The Spectator by James Forsyth, which is all about the thinking going on inside of Downing Street. And it still sounds to me that they're pretty confident that they're going to get through what it is that they want to get through. Whether it's um, a no-deal Brexit after an election or whether it's a no-deal Brexit before an election, you're obviously going to try and stop that. But if there is an election, um, I'm not sure you can stop a no-deal Brexit if he wins that election. No, if he wins the election on a platform of a no-deal Brexit, fair play, so be it. That's what will happen. And the consequences of that we will all live with. Uh, you know, for years to come. But I don't think they'll achieve a no-deal Brexit before an election. I think it would be wrong to try, and, and I think that they won't achieve it anyway. I think the courts now stand in his way because they made those clear assurances yesterday in the court in Scotland that they would not break that law. Now, you had another case on the go, I think, unless I'm mistaken, that it's the same case, that you wanted to have the court promise to lock Boris Johnson up uh, if, in <laughs> fact, he did go for a no-deal. You're not really serious about locking up our elected Prime Minister, are you? Well, I think all that was happening there was that the lawyers in the case were saying, look, the court has the power to impose a, a prison sentence and fines on him if they find that that's appropriate. And they were saying, you know, you know, basically, that's the power of the court. 
Because, I mean, reading the papers over the weekend, as I'm sure you did as well, I found myself thinking, am I living in some kind of altered universe here? And it's just some kind of, you know, Blade Runner Part 59, where the Prime Minister's inside Downing Street, there's people outside trying to get in to pull him out, to arrest him, and he's refusing to go anywhere. Or where maybe he's the Prime Minister from within prison, you know, like a, a mafia boss, you know, he's running it from a mobile phone. <laughs> yeah, like that Donald like, Escape from New York, Donald Pleasance, the president's inside. Let's talk about Extinction Rebellion, though, because you, I'm assuming you're bankrolling them as well, are you? No, you said that at the top of your show, yeah. but I mean, I don't know where you get that from. Well, I just think you're a very generous guy. You don't mind paying out thousands of pounds to very wealthy barristers. I'm assuming you would be equal opportunity uh, for the poor people complaining about climate change. No, I absolutely support Extinction Rebellion in everything that they're doing, but uh, I've not been, um, uh, to use your term, bankrolling them. To be fair, they've got plenty of money, haven't they? I have no idea. They've got loads of money. They're always getting uh, donations from rock stars and stuff like that. But I did see the last time you were down here for their, uh, one of their events and you were holding up a rather offensive uh, placard, I have to say, <laughs> which somebody's only just retweeted. I think, to be fair, I wasn't holding it. I was pointing at it. It was somebody else's <laughs> placard. And I did quite like what it said. OK. Well, I can't repeat it on the radio, oh. unfortunately. So now, um, so what's happening today? When will you get a decision uh, and, and what time and what are you expecting? I'm expecting sometime this afternoon that we'll get a decision. And uh, firstly, it's the appeal of yesterday's decision. Uh, that's going to be very interesting. It's not like crucial to us. Uh, personally, I won't be too affected if we don't get it because we've got those assurances from the government now. But secondly, what well, you asking, mean if you lose again, you don't care? You could, you could say that, Mike. Right, okay. That's okay. Right. It's your show. <laughs> and uh, and secondly, uh, we're asking for the the court to use the power of Nobov, you know, this nobili officium, uh, which basically means they can write a letter on behalf of Boris Johnson to Europe asking for the extension. Yes, yeah, I'm not keen on that. Do that so. doesn't sound very democratic to me. Really, the law doesn't sound democratic to no, you? No, no. I mean, look, there are some laws which aren't democratic, you know? I mean, for example, in, in Hong Kong, it's now unlawful to wear a mask, which is bad news for some people. Well, but we don't live in Hong Kong, do we? No, we don't. But what I'm saying is it's not the principle of a law being unfair and undemocratic is not that unusual. Oh, no, it's not. And, you know, history's, uh, you know, full of examples where people have had to stand up exactly. against the law. Right now, Extinction Rebellion are doing exactly that, but you don't like it. I don't like what they're doing because I think they're wrong and I think they're frightening a lot of people. And I think the stupid people who are led around by the nose, who believe everything they're told by certain individuals, are actually... When you see a man lying down, face down, on the ground, holding up a picture of his two children, one of whom is four and the other one of uh, eight months old, saying, I was very selfish, I had these children, I don't know what to do, and he's in despair, I think there's something wrong. Well, that sounds tragic. But there is something wrong, though. I mean, we can't, we can't ignore that. And Extinction Rebellion have really helped to bring that to the fore. Because, you know, we've got 10 years to save the world. That's, That's the rubbish, global though. scientific yeah, consensus. No, it's not, there is no such scientific consensus about <laughs> the future. Unless you've got a crystal ball, well, you don't is. know. No, but that's not true, Mike. That's not true. Yes, you, it is true. It's not true. The world's leading scientists, nearly 2,000 of them, mm -hmm. have, have been working on this issue for years, and they see very clearly what's happening with the climate and where it's Yes, heading. they do, but they've also got it wrong, having seen it very clearly in the past. You know, in 1989, uh, the UN Panel for Climate Change actually said that we would all be dead, more or less, by the year 2000 and underwater in Canary Wharf if we didn't take a series of measures. Guess what? It didn't happen. I don't believe they said that. Well, I can tell you they did say it, and I can post you the uh, the statement if yeah. you wish. Alright, do that for me. Because but that happened in 1989 and it has happened many times since and we've also had, you know, Greta Thunderbird mark 1, 2, 3 and 4 going all the way back to about 1995 young children being put before the UN telling us all how terrified they are and none of it has happened. The ozone layer for example is the smallest it has been ever 
But Mike, as, as having just but, been announced but, by the by the by the people who've but, discovered it. But Mike, you're overlooking the fact that the ozone layer was fixed by human action. Yeah. The, we somebody raised the alarm about the exactly. ozone layer. Probably, but you're probably us we're not scientists. Doing probably scientists. Yeah. No, Mike. it was. And as a result of that, CFCs were taken out yes. of circulation, and that fixed That's the ozone right. layer. But these uh, are the same people who are telling us we're not doing anything. These are the same people that are telling us we have to do something. This is what the scientists are saying. We've got 10 years to save the world. They said the ozone hole was a problem. It was. We fixed it. That's good. We moved on now. Yeah. It's, it's the climate, and you're wrong to deny the science of that. It's crazy no, to there deny is the no science, science No, there is no science, Dale. There That's is no science that can predict the future. I'm sorry. Uh, well, you're just being silly. No, I'm not. I, I accept that the science can tell you that the, that the climate is changing. I accept that, of course. Uh -huh. I'm not going to be one of those people that says, no, there's nothing wrong with the climate. But the climate changes all the time. And there are other scientists, and I see many of them in here, Piers Corbyn, for example, Jeremy's brother, uh, who believes that CO2 is actually a good thing. And it's ludicrous and crazy to actually say that we should get rid of it because it's, it's part of the stuff of life. I can, I can find you any number of scientists who will agree with him. No, you can't. I can. There's they're, they're, 500 of them who have written to the UN. They're a tiny minority. If you look yeah, at the we global don't want to believe, record... Yeah, well, lots of minorities get protected course, status. Yeah, I want protected status as being a minority. Yeah, and you should have it, Mike. Thank you very much. You should absolutely have it. Please. Can I get a grant as well from Ecotricity? <laughs> well, as you said, I'm a very generous man and yes. I'd like to support worthy causes. If I dress up as a barrister, will you send me a couple of hundred grand? I think you'd have to make a better case than that for me. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, anyway, listen, if you look at the, the record of, of carbon concentrations in the atmosphere, yes. that they are at historic highs. Yes. Uh, you know, but in, some in people last... say that's not a problem. But the, the historical record shows us that the last time they were this high, uh, you know, the, the world was a far more inhospitable place than it is today. And, and that's when was where that? And when was that? I don't know, 100 million years ago. Or oh, right. I didn't realise you had records from 100 million years ago. Where'd you get those from? What, Mike, I, I, there's so much you don't know. Well, you, I'd like to know where I can find these 100 million year old records. Are they written down somewhere? Ice cores, Mike. Ice cores, It's right. about science. Right. You know, drilling down into the Arctic I or see. the Antarctic okay. and examining the ice Cores, mm. which are actually a history of the world. Yes, but it's a bit of a guess, though, isn't it? Because you don't actually know for sure what the temperature was, because we've only been measuring the temperature of the planet for about 250 years. Uh, the, the, yeah, Haven't we? <laughs> Isn't that right? Like, I, lo I, love, I, love the way, I love the way you talk about other people guessing, scientists guessing, but everything you say is a guess. No, it's not. When did we start okay. measuring the, the, the actual temperature of the planet? Actually, I don't know. Well, I'm telling you, you don't know much for the head of I an ecocentric no, uh, you know, energy company. But listen, the scientists look at these ice cores and they, they know an awful lot really? about the world from that. I of mean, course. Just, you need to look at the science. Have you ever heard like, of the hockey stick graph? Yeah, have you? Do you yeah. know how that was falsified by the University of East Anglia? But it wasn't, was it? Oh, it was. That was just a big hoo-ha. No, it was a big hockey stick which was made up by the scientists because they wanted to get more grant funding. That's no. the way science works. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Listen, I mean, this is the this attitude. Is, you've got to admit this, this is good, isn't it? This is fun. But this is the attitude that we've got, to, we've got to fight against. I know you're having a bit of fun, but seriously, you know, the, the lives of our children, our grandchildren are at stake. Here. They're not. I don't believe that, and I don't think any normal person does. And I think if, you, really? if I were you and you have normal some influence people. with these people, right, if you say to, climate, uh, to the Extinction Rebellion people, you are turning more people off this cause than you can possibly shake a stick out. Many more people were in favour of going along with the Extinction Rebellion people, but the more sort of civil disobedience they get involved in, the more businesses that they interrupt, the less sympathy they get. Uh, I, I disagree. 
I don't think that's happening. I think they've... Well, it is happening. I'm in London and it's happening. I think they've put the climate crisis front and centre. They've got a lot of people's attention and they're giving it the, the kind of attention it needs. I mean, we need nothing short of a revolution in the way that we live our lives. No, they're all anarchists. That's exactly what they want. They want to change the way the world but, is governed. They say not. that. They're not. They look, say that quite openly. Look, look on the streets. You've got grandmothers on the streets. Are they anarchists? Yeah, probably, because they're old and doddery and they've forgotten what it is that they're supposed <laughs> to be doing. So now they've decided to come and join uh, an Extinction Rebellion march because they think they want to save the planet. There's all sorts of people on that march. All sorts of people care about what's going on. I care about what's going on. I've got children. You think I'm going to sacrifice them on the altar of capitalism? Well, you think your mother's birthday is more important than climate it change? It is. And if you were sitting in front of my mother, she'd slap you around the chops for saying something like that. It's a disgraceful thing to say. I don't know what your mother does for uh, for, for her birthday, but I if, think you, if you don't turn up for it, you're a disgrace. I understand. But listen, I think the birthdays of our children and our grandchildren to come, I think they're more important than our birthdays in this generation. Yeah, well, maybe you haven't been to one of my parties. Maybe I haven't. Well, maybe you, you should, should invite me then. Well, yeah. maybe I will. I'll be abroad, though, so you'll have to fly in a plane to get there. Oh, I, I can't do that. Do you not fly? No. Have you given up? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Really? I, I mean, uh, I. How do you get around? Well, I got I got legs. Uh, Have I, you? Yeah, I get in a car sometimes. I a get car? a train sometimes. Blimey. Uh, I got you, I got a motorbike, you... electric motorbike. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, but it is. But that's the wealth, wealthy man's toys. It's all very well to be green when you're a millionaire. It's a motorbike, Mike. It didn't How cost much a did fortune. How much uh, About ten grand. Ten grand. You see, that's a lot of money to a lot of people. But it's a lot less than a car, Mike. It might be less than a car. I had a car that I bought for four hundred quid. How much was your car that you've got now? Um, I didn't buy it, I'm leasing it. Ah, what is it? That's a Jaguar. Ooh. With diesel. That's a bit posher than my motorbike. Yeah. What's that, a 60 grand car? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, Good. so what's wrong with being rich? Nothing. You, uh, listen, I'm not the one that, that I'm not the one that these, owns a football club. I'm not the one that throws these labels around. I come on your show and all you want to talk about is money. Well, that's because that's it's, all you've got. You've got no ideas, you've got no <laughs> arguments, all you've got is money, so you can buy a load of barristers so and I, try and derail democracy. So I should be asking you what's wrong with being rich, because it's your problem, not I'm mine. I'm not rich. You're a millionaire, mate. No. You own a football club. <laughs> and you also own Julian Jolie and Morm. And I'm asking what's wrong with it, Mike. Why is it upsetting you? It's not upsetting me. I'm just in a radio show. Oh, right, I'm yeah. fine, trust me. <laughs> Dale, listen, a pleasure to talk to you. Good luck this afternoon with winning, uh, but you'll probably lose again and then pretend that you've won. Well, we might win and actually lose you never know it's you a weird know. world we live in it is very weird thank you very much dale vince there uh, the man the legend uh, the millionaire who doesn't think money's important it's great isn't it rich people never think money's important because they've got loads of it When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, let's talk to Ross, uh, who's in West London. Hello, Ross. Hi there, Mike. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, there's a question that I need answering. OK. And that is, it's to do with the climate extinction bozos. Um, when does a legal demonstration become an unlawful obstruction? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, I believe I'm right in saying that the police have been a lot more stringent upon them this time around. However, I was just looking at um, uh, some fi- some pictures of them leaving Smithfield, right? And apparently, they were all there last night, sleeping, and they asked the um, the drivers of the lorries not to honk their horns so they wouldn't wake them up. I mean, what yeah. sort of a, what sort of a protest is that? Well, then that's not really what I'm paying my taxes for, am I? No, really? absolutely not. And if you're a cab driver in this city at the moment, or you're a bus driver, or, or you know, you're trying to do your business, you can't do it. Well, I'm a, I am a black cab driver. Okay. So, you know, and it, it, it's just ridiculous. And I think, I mean, the Mayor of London needs to answer that question. I don't think there's any point in posing that question to Cressida Dick because she couldn't point to a street, let alone police one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Well, also, well, the problem with, with Sadiq Khan, of course, is that, one, he doesn't come on this show. He prefers to go to another show where he gets given an easier time. We've asked him several times to come in and he hasn't. But he is in favour of all these bozos. Well, then he needs to actually do a little bit more research and look at the science. Yeah, well, but, I think so. You know, I, 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 it, that, that was just a question that I thought, it's been vexing me for ages. Yeah. And I just... I cannot for the life of me think, well, how can you say that you're planning two weeks of disruption? Surely someone at the highest level must have said, well, hang on a minute, you can have a demonstration. Yeah. Surely that's too long. No. Surely. I mean, how does it work, for example, when you guys do your kind of silent protest, when you take... I mean, I've seen you guys on Westminster Bridge and up um, yeah. up the mall, and you're doing yeah. that as a, as a protest against TfL. Presumably you have to get permission for that. Yeah, we have to get permission for it, and even those that, 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 that do the uh, demonstration, you get your licences... Um, licence numbers taken down and all right. that sort of thing. They, they try always round to find ways of kind of revoking your licence. Is that right? Like that. That's yeah. what yeah. You know, because, it can be, yeah. So, yeah. So, it's very, so you have to be very strict about how you do it. Mm. Otherwise, you get done for an obstruction. Right. So well, I'm that's wondering right. whether... Well, if, yeah, I took, if I took my car onto Lambeth Bridge on any given day and decided to park it sideways across the northbound side carriageway, you know, how long do you think it would be before a truck came along and towed it off? That's right, absolutely. You know, or if I set somebody down and my back wheel is on a zigzag line, yeah. I'll get tickets for that. You can't, you, even, you can't even drop people off at cash machines anymore, can you? No, I, well, there are, there are ways of doing that. You have to keep... You have to keep yourself rolling, Mike. Yes, because these cameras are on a time uh, di- time delay. So I just so, have to, so I just have to throw myself out of the cab while you're still moving. Then <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I can do that. No problem. I can do, I can do the forward roll. Listen, how yeah, much is, no, how it, much is it affecting your business, uh, Ross? Well, uh, to be honest, I didn't work yesterday because I had things to do, yeah. and I'm out working. I'm out working today. It's not affected me today. Okay, uh, and, and I have to tell you that in April when they did it. At first, I thought, God, this is going to be a nightmare. Well, I actually did probably as well, if not better, than I would have done normally. So mm. thanks very much. They, they, they did me a favour in some right. ways. Okay, because yeah. people, I guess, can't... I mean, people can't get around on buses because a lot of the buses are, uh, are on diversion. And the one thing no. you know about getting on a bus that's diverted is you have never have any idea where it's going. And it never goes no, anywhere no. near where it's meant to go. 
So I think what happens is people do take cabs, and because we know where we're going, yes. we're able to know all the cut throughs. Right. So that's so that that works in my favour. But do you know what? I just think that, that it's it's absolutely ridiculous. A couple of days, fair enough, but yeah. then just go home. But also, I mean, what I don't know, right, is they haven't come close to where we are. You know where we are on London Bridge. But I, yeah, I, do, yeah. I, I imagine they're going to because people are out there thinking, well, when are they going to come and occupy this part of London, you know? Well, that's just the point. If it's a rolling thing, where are they going to be tomorrow? Yeah. You know, and, and, and then, you know, what are the police going to do? Start dancing with them? I mean, what's going on? What, what are we the police for? I know. So it's, um, I'm, I'm trying not to let it bother me, but it was something that I thought only you could answer, Mike. Yes, <laughs> well, to be honest, I mean, I'm not sure that they're not already uh, uh, an obstruction and that they're not already uh, being arrested because they've arrested 300 of them, but it doesn't stop them. And if you see some of the videos knocking around on Twitter, I mean, these people are seriously deranged, man. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 0344 499 1000. Alexis Conran coming up at one o'clock uh, in place of Matthew Wright. Uh, how about this from Pablo? Consensus science versus Albert Einstein. The consensus science argument always brings to my mind that Hitler had around 100 scientists all working to prove Einstein was wrong. Uh, were I wrong, one professor would have been enough said Einstein. Uh, it's just very true. I mean, consensus is one of these words that people bandy about as if, if everyone agrees about something, then it must be fine. You know, for example, the moon is made of green cheese. I have found 5,000 people who have agreed with that statement. Therefore, the moon must be made of green cheese. Well, guess what? It isn't. Let's talk to Bill in Faversham. Hello, Bill. Hi there, Mike. These, How are you doing? These people, I'm fine, thank you. I'm live from Faversham, like your colleague. Um, yeah, um, actually, these people are really, really good value. I, I think of them as kind of like a naughty toddler in a supermarket. <laughs> throws themselves on the floor and screams and screams till they're ick. Um, it's the only way that people will take notice, that I think, is where they're coming from. But it's so self-righteous and so virtue I know. And they're doing it in the wrong country. They're literally preaching to the choir. You know, this is one of the cleanest countries in terms of air, water and everything else. They won't do it in China. They won't do it in any of the countries that really need this stuff. I, I guess they want to hang on to their organs or something. Yeah, probably, but, something like that. <laughs> but ultimately, um, they say you know, the climate science is sorted. Whenever you hear that phrase, science is sorted, you should run for the hills. I know. They, they said at the beginning of the 1900s with physics, with optical science and everything else, and it isn't sorted. There's lots of scientists say other things. It doesn't mean it's wrong. No. But it's still well, Piers Corbyn, whenever he comes in here, says the whole point of science is that people disagree. The way you learn about stuff is that you have different theories and things come to pass and things can be proven. But as soon as you get people agreeing with one another, you know, that's the end of the research. If you've got scientists now who disagree, they don't get funded. It's as simple as yeah. that. That's how they get the consensus. Mm. But ultimately, uh, what's bothering me about this is the sheer organisational skill that is going into this and the numbers of people here and around the world. When they coordinated the 110 countries, it's difficult enough to organise your wife's birthday party. <laughs> they can do 110 countries. Who is paying for all of this? I know. Who is behind all of this? And I think journos out there, journalists should follow this to find out because ultimately what this feels like is you, me and everyone else is going to be paying extensive carbon taxes in the years to come because we didn't take notice of all their protests. 
Exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, as somebody pointed out earlier, they can't predict the weather this weekend, never mind telling us that the world's going to end in 10 years' time. Bill, thank you very much indeed. We're going to talk to a real scientist now, Professor Roger Lewis, because Professor Roger Lewis uh, is a fascinating guy from the University of Sheffield. He, amongst others, has come up with a new way of dealing with leaves on the line. Professor Roger, very good morning to you. Good morning. Now, this is, what science was in, this is what science was invented for, in my view. I think it's brilliant what you've done. Tell us about it. Okay, so we're, we're firing dry ice pellets uh, at the railhead in a stream of supersonic air to clean off contaminants, including um, leaf layers that cause all the problems to trains right. in, in autumn. So the, the, the really cold pellets, when they hit the railhead, make the surface layer cold and then the particles turn to gas in a sublimation process where they increase in volume by about 800 percent in a tiny fraction of a second which then blasts the the layer on the railhead away i mean you say this in such a calm manner that it doesn't sound complicated but it sounds to me like absolute science fiction i mean who's going to fire these pellets is it going to be the guy that runs the ticket office um so there's a number of ways we can apply it. So Network Rail have uh, maintenance trains and right. road rail vehicles that they send out on track at the moment to do water jetting. So mm. we're, we're going to be putting our our system on onto those trains um, this autumn to clean the railhead on five five different routes okay. across the across the UK. Um, basically, to, to We've trialled it on a, a couple of other systems already, the Sheffield Super Tram, and we've tested with the River Rail North in Barnsley, and that gave us the confidence to, to go to Network Rail and for them to Brilliant. get our So not only have it. you come up with a great idea, you've actually now put it into practice, and it's going to be working as soon as this, this year? Yes. Wow. Yes. And, and if that, Are if you, that sure well, you're, you're, you sure you're living in Britain? I mean, this never happens. I mean, the <laughs> idea of actually getting something to work, then getting somebody to agree to use it and, and, and actually improve something, that's, this, is, this is revolutionary stuff, Roger. Yes. It, actually, for us in universities, that, that is a real challenge. I mean, obviously, academics across, across the country are working on solutions to problems. Mm. One of our biggest challenges is then to get people to, to take them up and, and implement them. So we're re really pleased with yeah. to do that with Network And how did you come up with this particular uh, method? Because, I mean, were you trying other methods as well? Um, we, were, we were using this technology um, along with a, a company we work with, Ice Tech Technologies, to do something else. And um, in doing that, I suddenly thought, actually, we could, we could use this to, to clean railheads. Mm. So dry, dry ice is used as a cleaning process in lot, lots of other industries, but it's not been used in this kind of scenario ever before. I went to a lot of rock concerts in the 70s, and that's the only kind of dry <laughs> ice that I know about, really. Deep purple and this sort of riot heat yeah, concerts. Yeah. But, but this is fabulous. So, I mean, basically, the, the, mo the main sort of difficulty is at this time of the year, isn't it, when the leaves are falling, rather than when it's getting really, really wintry and frosty? Yes. So, yeah, the leaves are starting to come down now. Mm. They tend to fall near the line or on the line. And then as the trains pass over, they, they basically compact the layer down into this uh, really slippery black layer that's extremely well adhered, it, adhered to the railhead. Mm. So there's some really complex chemistry going on in the wheel rail interface that right. drives that, that process. I know that the public kind of think of it as being quite a simple problem, but mm. actually there's a, there's a lot of complexity there. And, and even even leaves by the side of the track as the trains are passing because of their aerodynamics, they actually pull the leaves into the wheel rail interface. Yes. So 
Um, it, it is a complex issue. It is. And I'm told it costs around about £345 million a year to the rail industry. See, I've always thought, because I pride myself, Professor, on having great ideas and getting them put into action as well. I had an idea. Why not knock all the trees down around the railway lines and, and plant, you know, uh, like evergreen-type trees that don't lose their leaves? Wouldn't that make more sense? Um, I, I guess in the longer term that might might be a solution. Um, at the moment, though, the, the trees play other roles um, around the tracks. Yes. The, the roots tend to, to help hold the embankments yes. together. So chopping them all down at once could, could just trigger could tr a, a new, could, the no. new problem. For the yes, no, I've seen that. I had a friend actually who worked for Network Rail down in the West Country and one of the biggest problems they had was, uh, was rabbits burrowing into oh, the right. embankments yeah. and making yeah. the embankments actually subside. Which yeah. is always tricky. So, so I mean, who's going to be lucky enough to uh, benefit from the leaves on the line scenario? Because they won't be able to use that excuse when they're coming in late for work anymore. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, mo most passengers um, travelling on the trains at this time of year get get pretty dissatisfied when when their trains are delayed, or if timetable changes are implemented to try and um, take account of this. So, the passengers will obviously benefit. Um, obviously, the drivers are, are going to feel more comfortable. For them, driving in these slippery conditions can be terrifying because the, the consequences of it going wrong are a train sliding through a station at the, in the worst case or passing a signal at danger. So give them greater confidence to drive more positively, um, and that in itself will, will help the timetable um, stay as, as it should be. Mm, and obviously it will reduce costs for, for network rail as well um, in terms of their, their maintenance. Yeah, well, let's hope they reinvest it into the, into the trains. That would be great. Professor Roger Lewis, brilliant. What a great invention. Something finally to be proud of uh, in Britain, and it's going to be working as soon as this autumn. So literally in a matter of weeks, there will be no more leaves-on-the-line problem. Isn't that fantastic? Well, I think we've talked enough about Extinction Rebellion for one day. I've managed to keep them off my show, at least talking to them anyway, for at least two days, and maybe tomorrow they might get bored and go home. Instead, uh, we're going to take a little jump to the left, and we're going to talk to Mr Adrian <laughs> Durham, uh, who is here from TalkSport. Veteran of TalkSport, I think it would not be wrong to say. What are you um, suggesting? I'm suggesting that you've been there since the beginning. I have been there since... In fact, since you've been there since before it was TalkSport. Before the beginning, Yeah, fact. Yeah, I was, the I was first there. incarnation. I was very much there at the conception. Right. <laughs> do you want the graphic details? I do. <laughs> I do. It was called Talk Radio. I was there in April 99. It was Talk Radio. I yeah. used to do the sports bulletins into what was then the Big Boys Breakfast. OK. And that was Nick Ferrari and... David Banks. David Banks, yeah. of course, yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, somebody you know, Mike Parry, took yep. me into a darkened room and said, to me we're going to change this whole thing don't tell anyone we're right. changing the whole thing to talk sport right and, and i thought oh blah, i might have a job for life here and uh, amazingly it's turned and, out that and, way and yeah. it has turned out that way and you are now it has to be said and i'm not going to i just i don't say this with any uh, rancor you are now one of the most loved and also hated people uh, in the world of football aren't you do you know what mike you totally get it you totally understand why that is actually mm. a good thing they did a survey maybe about five or six years ago mm. um about the talk sport presenters and I had equal amount love me, equal amount hate me. Yeah. And that's exactly how it should be. Absolutely. Well, I remember this, when I first got into radio, and that and was much more recently than you did, um, I, was, I used to listen, listen to Howard Stern in America, and they had a thing with him which said that people that really love Howard Stern listen for 20 minutes, people who hate him listen for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. You know? But TalkSport's been an amazing sort of roller coaster ride. The characters, many of whom are in the book, the stories of them, Alan Brazil is a sort of 
legend of, oh. of, of the, his own lunchtime, which well, starts at 10 o'clock. For those, I'm, I'm sure most of your listeners know, but for those that don't know, Alan Brazil presents The Breakfast Show 6 till 10 and has done since the middle of the first year. Didn't do it straight away. Somebody was absolutely terrible did it first off, and that was me. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> she couldn't get over that time of day, so... Uh, I mean, yeah, that doesn't work for me. I mean, no. I've, tr- I've oh. tried filling in for Julie Hartley Brewer here, and I did it for a week once in the old building, and I came in, what, the final, sort of fourth day, and Brazil was sitting there, waiting to start his show. And I said, how, you, how long have you been doing this? Uh, 20 years. And I'm like, I can't even do it for 20 days. It's incredible. I mean, I, people will ask me a lot about Alan Brazil. Yeah. It's a question I get asked most, you know, what's he like? And obviously I never see him because they're the right. other end of the day to me. Occasionally I do see him. And uh, he's uh, just good company and that's what makes it yeah. such a good show. He's so warm. But there's mm. a whole chapter devoted to Alan Bernard Brazil right. in the book. Okay. Um, featuring some of his... High moments yes. and low moments, some uh, dark moments. Well, he has moments. come out with some great clips, hasn't he? Which oh. will always be clips of the of the decade. Or the whatever. great thing about the book as well is it's 20 years of TalkSport. It's in all good bookshops and bad ones and on Amazon and on the uh, TalkSport.com website as well. Okay. Um, some of the clips, which is a Friday afternoon thing. Hawksby and Jacobs do mm. one till four Friday, uh, uh, every afternoon in the week. Um, and on Friday afternoon, 3.30, they play everybody's cock-ups, basically. Right. So we, we have the ability to laugh at ourselves, which is... Probably why it's lasted so long. I think so. So all these clips... There's, and there's plenty of them as well. Yeah, there's a good number of them there. They're transcribed in there. You might think actually not listening to them and reading them might not work, but it does. And mm. one of the great ones, and my favourite, is the Bob Monkhouse yes. uh, Alan Brazil clip. Mm. Um, that's transcribed in the book um, <laughs> where basically he uh, isn't aware that Bob Monkhouse has passed away despite the fact that the guest, Gary Bushler, you know, has uh, been talking about um, a tribute show yes. to uh, Bob Monkhouse. And the, the script, it goes on from there and Alan tries to stick to his guns Saying there's two, ver- it's just uh, it's, a it's how, how's hilarious. his health is the question. Isn't <laughs> that's it? the one. That's well, the killer moment. Well, yeah. he's actually dead. Oh, but there's some there's some <laughs> fantastic stories. Another great transcript is Ray Parler, who's yeah. nicknamed the Ron for Pele. Yes, once interviewed. Pele, the mm. real Pele. Right. And it's one of the worst interviews, but also one of the best interviews. You right. know, it's like the car crash where yes. you have to look. Right. You don't want to and you're cringing, but it's great. And Ray was such Brilliant. a good sport over it. And Laura Woods, who's a relatively newer addition to Talk Sports programming, uh, but is on breakfast quite a lot. Mm. I mean, she's got a great sort of backhanded compliment, hasn't she, to Alan Brazil? Oh, brilliant. Yeah, she's uh, interviewed in the book, and uh, her great quote is that uh, she knew of Alan Brazil because her dad listened to Alan <laughs> Brazil. And it's uh, that's the moment where you think, oh, Oh, that is really done. That is Alan. really bad, isn't it? But what about um, your own favourite story? Is there one in there that that, that you... I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's nothing in there that you didn't know about. No, no, absolutely. But um, when you read it, is there one that kind of stands out? It, well, there's, there's not one that stands out. There's loads that stand out. So from each different show, so say the sports bar in the evening, they do this uh, midnight train to madness mm. from midnight, funnily enough, where you can ring in and talk about what you want as long as it's not football, sport, politics or religion. Okay. Um, and they had a call... All I'll say is from somebody who called themselves Schmelz Herring. Okay. And it's just hilarious. I mean, reading the transcript of that is hilarious. And it's how that uh, part of the show evolved, how it came to be, and how it came to be so successful as well. But there's there's loads of stories in there. Um, Alan Brazil having a pop at Andy Murray for crying uh, mm. over his injuries and, and potential retirement. Right. Just stuff like things that you might have forgotten the whole of uh, Euro 2012 was a, a bit of a disaster for many reasons there was somebody who went a bit rogue in the talk sport camp oh, which yeah. is not unusual no but the in whole fact, story in some that- ways it's surprising that that doesn't happen more often no, that's in true, the old yeah. days, particularly. But the great thing about that story is that he they caught up with him and he's happily been interviewed mm. for it. So you get the full lowdown of what everybody had to go through. Um, so I think the guy who's... Is he in charge here? Denny? Yes. He? Right, okay. Denny well, Morris, yeah. He, he nearly... My boss. He actually uh, ended up in hospital because of... Uh, you, that was World Cup 2014. That was South Africa, wasn't no, it? No, World Cup 2014 in Brazil. Oh, yeah. He ended up in hospital. Yeah. 
But South Africa, the boss back then thought... Thought he died. Then he's dead. Yeah. yeah. I, I got a call. And it is that. I think that's the funniest story in there. And he's definitely not dead. Definitely not dead. You might have seen him on the way in. No, he hadn't died. But what happened was he got separated from the boss. The boss was a little bit inebriated yes. in a true talk sport way. Well, it must be difficult. I mean, you did you not get mugged in Brazil? I got mugged in Brazil. But that was like that, a gunpoint. It wasn't. It was knife point. But knife it wasn't. A, that wasn't on talk sport duty. But right. actually, uh, I was actually on holiday. Right. Great holiday. Okay. Uh, and went back the following year for for the for World Cup. Yeah. yeah. Right. Give me some more. Um, but nobody took me on the second year. So yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing. I mean, talk sport has always had this kind of very clubbable kind of uh, attitude. <laughs> to the way that people what, work you want to together. Club it? <laughs> yeah. No, but the people that listen love it for that because yeah. there is a bit of banter between the presenters. You know, there's generally speaking no ill will between anyone really. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. And and you've and your reputation as the kind of Arsenal beta, um, the guy that I mean I, I love your Twitter feed because it's almost as objectionable as mine. But people are just slagging you off and just saying, Darren, it, yeah. you know, you're just winding everybody up. And, and then you, you get, know, yeah, it's true. You get criticized for interacting after that. But there's there is a picture of me, I'm showing you it now, me in an Arsenal shirt. Oh yes. Um and smiling, yes. no less. So uh, that's that's in the book if you want to laugh at that. But yeah, what, the way I see it is this. Talk sport, and, and this is the way it was from the very start, and I think it's still the way now. It's like a bunch of your mates down the pub. And that might sound a bit cliche, mm. but actually, if you think about the different characteristics of all the mates that you got, you go down the pub with... There's Alan Brazil, who's kind of uh, always has one too many, but is full of good stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got H and J, who are genuinely funny blokes. Yeah, a bit of wisdom in the corner. There's me, who argues with everything. Yes. Um, there's Jim White, who seems to know everybody mm. and know everything. So right. this is a, it's, it's a reflection of your own mates yeah. who go to the pub before and after games. Yes, so that's and, the reality. And the football business itself, though, we must talk about this because I must admit, um, so I'm not on Talk Sport anymore, but I'm still watching the football. And I watched it last last weekend and thought the world got a bit mad you know <laughs> I was looking at this, the, well the results you know Manchester United get beaten by Wolves you know Manchester United who look as if they're so bad they might actually go down Everton end up in the relegation zone because Newcastle uh, get a win and I mean Liverpool are so far ahead you can't believe that even they could screw it up no I, I, I did think that City losing to Wolves handed Liverpool the title yes. but what I would say is this If here's a question for you right on talk radio mm. do everybody does a great job uh, I do listen a lot yeah. Miss, well, well the great thing about talk radio is we're the underdog so we can do anything we can fight our way out of the corner because you know we're surrounded by other people who are bigger than us and have got bigger audiences than us but we're coming after them well if manchester united did get relegated yes do you think that subject might take over on talk radio as well do you know i think we might do it yeah. because it's a it's massive huge. business it's a huge business yeah. and um you know people are already making jokes about everton having the best ground in the championship you know and i might <laughs> i might have to bring that up i'm afraid at one point or another you know but i think you're right that in terms of the underdog thing talk sport started out i mean i was there at the very start there was no clocks in the building there were no microphones there yeah. was no furniture there was no nothing even the morning we started 6 a.m there was virtually nothing in place mm. and engineers were under tables trying to screw things in and plug things in and they got it all sorted but from that it's grown into something sensational yeah. the story is sensational as well but Absolutely back then. Somebody at uh, a certain other radio station called us in his book, Lamentable, in oh, 2000. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a famous quote. It's in the book as well. But actually, from those very uh, humble beginnings, mm. I think it's grown to a place where none of us really thought it would go to. And in the, the, the studios now upstairs mm. uh, on the 17th floor above us, I mean, they're magnificent, aren't they? That's true. I mean, if you think of where it's come from, that dark room somewhere above, high above Oxford Street, mm. where you started out uh, doing, the, doing the football room. Reports. I mean, it's come quite a long way. Yeah, and that old building that we we're in uh, in, in Hatfield. Oh my goodness! I that, know. Yeah, it was well, a shocker. I'm in the book because that's where my car, my rather expensive new Jaguar.
Jaguar got impaled. Yeah, uh, the underside of it got speared. Yeah, I ran into Simon Jordan the other day, who, uh, of course, is the former owner of Crystal mm. Palace, also on TalkSport. His Maserati got similar treatment. He sued the law firm and lost. <laughs> so, so Actually, this is what TalkSport's about. There's something you lose money. Very, very satisfying about Simon Jordan's Maserati yeah. being speared by a bollard I and losing. It's there'll so some, satisfying. There'll be some cheers going up around the oh. wall, I think, at the moment, <laughs> wouldn't there? But listen, Absolutely. Adrian, great stuff. Thank you very much. You're cheers, back mate. today at four o'clock. Indeed, yeah. With Mr. Goff. Indeed, yeah. Indeed. Talking well, all sorts. You guys have lasted a long time together. I, Everyone expected noticed. him to give up after keep, a while. Keep it on the download. You know, because normally you get rid of your co-host after a while because they get fed up with you. <laughs> Don't you? This is so not true. No, it's very true. Adrian Durham, the book is out. It's 20 years of talk sport. I'm in it. What other reason would you need to buy it? Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.